Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Ronald Show, we talk about how we use blood flow restriction training with our post-operative knee patients. The Ask Mike Reinhold Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free online course on the introduction to performance therapy and training. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I am up at Champion PT and Performance up in Boston, Massachusetts. Should we stop saying that, by the way, since half of us aren't at Champion when we, when we do these? We're right around champions greater area <laughs> we're around the greater boston area i would you know what I, I, of all those things that like that you know we're going to come out better from this pandemic and we're going to actually be better for it uh like birthday parades i think that's my favorite thing so far birthday <laughs> parades but like i i think i think doing this podcast via zoom might like this is sticking right we're never going to get back together right I'm a big in-person <laughs> fan. I like I like the dynamic when we're all in the room, but I think Zoom has its advantages as well. <laughs> well, we'd have to get stadium seating just to even record it now. But anyway, we are here answering your questions as always. If you have a question, you can submit it to us as well. Head to micround.com, click on that podcast link, and there's a form to fill out so we can answer your questions. So let's see. I'm joined today. We got Dave Tilly, Kevin Coughlin. Uh, Lenny Macrina, Mike Scaduto, Lisa Lowe. I see. I almost Lisa Lowe with her with her with her her married name. That's that's gonna get old. We got to just make that adjustment, Lisa. Lisa Lowe, Dan Pope, Dewesh Podell, all here for you answering your questions. Len, who do we have for students today? I think we got some new uh, students to introduce, right? Crap! I don't have my cheat list. We have Eric Deutsch, Deutsch from the New York Institute of Technology. I think that's where he goes. Uh, who do we have? So we have Brian Hunter somewhere in there. I don't even see them because that's not what my screen is showing me. So I'm going off memory. He just started uh, recently. He's from the University of Hartford. I think he comes in every day wearing a Cincinnati red shirt because he played minor league baseball there. Uh, just kind of let remind us. And uh, who else do we have? Um, uh, is Morgan still with us? Um, so we have Eric. We have Brian. I honestly <laughs> can't see them, so I have no idea who our current students are. So and, you're... Uh, you're a big gallery view guy with Zoom. You're not a. Uh, you I, know, I just did default. I just did <laughs> default. So, oh, and Cody, Cody Adams from uh, Franklin Pierce University in um, the beautiful state of Arizona, I think, but uh, they're in New Hampshire too. Good recovery, Len. Cody, way to be memorable. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, all right. What do we, he showed what do we up a little late, so I, I forget about him sometimes. Well said. Well said. Step number one for a clinical rotation. Don't show up a week late, right? That's like, how, 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 how do you have a good impression? That's the podcast episode this week. Right? Just kidding. There's some miscommunication. We're going to blame right, it all on, right. on somebody else. But anyway, um, yes, Eric. Eric, what do we what do we have for a question today? All right, so we got using BFR after knee surgery. 
Tom from Maryland. I recently purchased Mike and Dan Lorenz's online course on blood flow restriction training, and I'm excited to start using BFR with my patients. I'd love to hear how you all utilize BFR in a post-operative patient. Maybe discuss a case example of a knee surgery patient and how you started using BFR and how you progressed it over their rehab. Awesome. Good job, Eric. I like it. Um, yeah. And you know what? I, I actually think that's a fairly common question. We see that a lot online, like on social media, you guys probably seen that a little bit too, is um, I think everybody's, you know, you know, blood flow restriction training is getting more popular, right? BFR is definitely more popular, but I think a lot of people like lack the creativity of exactly how to apply it. And, you know, I don't blame them. It's new. You don't want to do it wrong. You don't want to like, you don't want to waste time. You don't want to like, you know, have any safety thing. So, you know, uh, Dan Lorenz and I that, you know, teamed up for that course kind of talk about this a little bit all the time is that a lot of people need a little guidance. So we have some case studies in our course and stuff like that. But I, I like this question from Tom here where he's like, look, just w- walk me through like how you would use it on somebody like, you know, um, and we can kind of go from there. So I don't know if anybody like, I know we have a few people just off the top of my head. I know, you know, Dan's doing it on a couple of people. Dave's doing it on a couple of you. I have him in a sector right now. Len's done some ACL. So why don't we just, why don't we each take turns and just share like, you know, how, when did you start using it? How did you start using it? And how'd that progress over time? Like as like case studies, but Dave, you want to start it off? Uh, yeah, sure. So I think the, probably the most classic one that I recently had was just a soccer player, ACL, hamstring graft. And uh, I think we started probably like three or four weeks. At, the doc was really just worried about incisions. So once the incisions closed and they felt comfortable, we were able to do it because they're worried about the pressure, obviously popping some stitches or stuff. So it was like three or four weeks after, but I saw her maybe like week two when she was there. So the first week was kind of more just basic education and swelling, but we were pretty fast on doing it for uh, BFR and STEM together. And I actually started her at like 60% limb occlusion pressure because I was a little nervous about, obviously she's never done it before. The response is high. She's exercising for the first time after surgery. She's doing STEM with the, uh, the BFR. So we started at 60% and just did all her open chain stuff. And then some of her hit manuals that we were doing like manually. So she did all of her like, you know, leg raises, all her stuff over the side of the table and the hands on stuff with me. And that was it. That was really all we did for the first couple of days. Uh, after then we added like the weight shifting, the closed chain, you know, mini squat she started to do with her protocol. And I, I would say it kind of started as the the bulk of her exercise, like pretty much most of the time in treatment, she was using that. And then as we just went through the natural four, six, eight, you know, week progression up to like, maybe when she was in the gym, she started doing stuff in the gym around like 10 weeks or 12 weeks. I just started putting at the end of her rehab as like a burnout set. So she would just do quad. And at that point, after her hamstring graph, we were doing a lot of hamstring and quad stuff together. So it went from kind of all her exercises towards, you know, increasing the limb occlusion pressure up to 80 when she could handle it. And then finally just doing like a burnout set of, you know, quad hamstring calf stuff at the very, very end. And, uh, yeah, she's, she's, she's doing really well. She's eight months now, but she did have a couple times where she got a little lightheaded and we had to like kind of chill a little bit, but overall she, she crushed it and she's doing really, really well now. Awesome. Well, so, and when you started that at the beginning, Dave, you just did your normal set rep scheme that you'd normally do. Right. And you just, all essentially what you did is you took your normal, you know, early post-operative stuff and you just added blood flow restriction to it, but you didn't change the set rep scheme. Is that accurate? Yeah, because in my mind, and I mean, obviously I like to hear everyone's opinion, but I feel like there's a lot to get to early on. There's so much stuff to do in an hour between manual stuff, range of motion, swelling, soft tissue, all the exercise. Like there's so much stuff I want to get to biking that I'd rather kind of just have it on there as like a low level stimulus than being, all right, one three by 30 for every single quad set leg raise. Like that's going to be a lot. And I think like it easily gets to like 20 minutes of limb occlusion pressure that you don't want to go over. So I was just cautious about that. 
Yeah, I like that. And then as she progressed, like you said, you started to do it more towards the end, but then you were focusing on on fatigue at, at the end. I like that. Awesome. All right. Who else wants to share how they used it as like a case with somebody? I know a lot of people have been doing it. Who wants to go next? Dan? Sure. Yeah, I, I agree largely with Tilly. I think one of the big question marks in my head um, is when is it okay to start? You know, I think it kind of comes down to a couple of different things. One, we're kind of scared about circulation, clots, that type of thing. And I think for the majority of folks, it's we don't really know when it's safe to start. I think um, making sure the wound is healing appropriately is important. And a lot of docs maybe don't want you to start PFR until someone's actually ambulating, which is going to be pretty tough for, let's say, like a post-op meniscus repair when someone's non-weight-bearing for a period of time. So um, I don't have a great answer for you, uh, but I would say you want to start BFR as soon as possible. The only caveat I'll say, and I, I've made this mistake in the past, is that um, BFR is tough, and you're taking someone that really, really hasn't exercised much for a period of time. Uh, they're probably painful before the surgery, uh, and they're deconditioned from the surgery. And then if you ask them to do sets to failure in the beginning, uh, you really may hurt them. So you have to be a little careful. Um, what I'd like to do is I'll actually start people in the exercise that I want to do BFR on eventually, and I'll slowly ramp up the repetitions. And if they're tolerating that well, then I throw the BFR on. Um, but that being said, I think you're fighting this battle of, all right, we want to protect the surgical site, but the longer we wait to load this area, the weaker they're going to be long-term, the harder it's going to be to get back the, the um, uh, atrophy or the muscle mass they lost. Um, so I would say you want to start as soon as you can, but once you start applying it, start easy and make sure they're responding well. They're not getting a lot of swelling, not getting more painful. The range of motion is still um, progressing well. Um, that being said, I, I'm going to piggyback on Tilly. I think um, a lot of um, PTs I hear tend to make this mistake is that BFR is great for low-level stress to the body, which is phenomenal in the early stages of rehab. These folks are not going to be able to tolerate a lot of stress in general because we want to protect the surgical site, but if we do too much, we're just going to piss the area off and then set ourselves back. Um, so it's phenomenal early stage. But once someone's able to load, I try to make that transition over to loading uh, as soon as we're able to because, again, we want to get back to a sport-specific activity, and we need to protect the surgical site. But the other part is that we want to get started as soon as we can without irritating that area. So BFR ends up becoming an adjunct eventually. So some, when someone's able to tolerate uh, more squatting, lunging, deadlifting, those type of things, I actually want to try to load those things without BFR. And then I may put some BFR at the, the end of the program. Um, and I have a, a patient right now, post-op meniscus repair. She's, she's a powerlifter and she has fallen in love with BFR um, uh, training and she does it twice a week still on top of all of other training. She loves it. She's doing really well and she's PR in her squat and everything. And she attributes a lot of that to BFR. But I think the large majority of her success comes from her training first and the BFR is just a little small adjunct at that point, you know? Right. Yeah. Well, well said there, Dan. I think that's great. And, you know, um, you know, to your point on the safety, I mean, we're, you know, I think we still pretty much recommend like wait till, you know, wait a couple of weeks for the incisions to calm down, to swelling to calm down. Um, you know, the, the research out shows the safety it's there, you know, there, it, it is safe, you know, um, there, there aren't correlations with clots and stuff like that. So the safety's there, but what I really like that you both kind of said, Dave said he starts with 60% limb occlusion pressure, for example, for the lower body, which is, kind of in the medium range, right? Certainly not at the high end. And Dan kind of said something similar where we kind of like ease into it, right? 
I see a lot of people make the mistake where let's, let's just say it's an early post-op. Let's say it's a patellar tendon graft ACL and they go to a BFR course and they say that, well, I'm supposed to do set four sets of, of 30 reps, 15, 15, 15 reps. That's the protocol, right? And they're doing that week two with knee extension after a patellar tendon graft ACL, right? And that's like 75 reps, like with, with, you know, with, with, with a, not necessarily a heavy load, but when you add the limb occlusion pressure that, that increases the fatigue and that increases essentially the perceived load, you know, to the tissue. Right. So we see a lot of people just, you know, blindly applying it like that. So I love what you guys both said is ease into it, right. It's, it's an adjunct and it's something that, um, that you want to slowly apply. I think that's, that's, that's kind of fantastic and make sure you're doing regular load too. Right. Like, you know, Dewesh and I, we talk about this all the time when we, when we talk about our training programs in the gym, but we like to train all like qualities of athleticism, right. So let's say strength and power, for example, I think it's the same thing with load here. Like you can argue that, that BFR is one type of stimulus, but we also need to do heavy load for tissue, right. With lower set rep schemes as well. And if you do them both in one session, you could argue you're kind of at, you're working on, on two sets of qualities at once and in, in for both strength gains, as well as tissue uh, capacity loading. So I think, I think that's kind of neat too. So uh, anyone else want to share their experience? I, I do have one too, but I, I want to, you know, just make sure everybody, anybody has anything different to add, or is that pretty similar? I was just curious if anybody has an opinion on, um, diminishing returns meaning like do you ever just pull it out because they're eight months out of an acl 10 months out of an acl 18 months out of an acl and you're like man i'd rather just have them do five sets of five deadlifts you know squats and what am i doing 20 20 pound knee extensions with bfr is there yeah. ever a time where it's like just not worth it anymore you know what i mean that's exactly what I did with a patient that I was talking about up until six months, we were doing like burnout sets. And then at six months, I was like, we have so much stuff we have to do with like ability <laughs> speed. Like it was impossible to fit it all in an hour. <laughs> Even there, honestly, she was there for like an hour and 45 minutes. I'm like, we just, we can't do it anymore. And she was dead. She was crushed after her. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, mean, I can see that is the, just so fatigued from everything else. Like you're just like adding this new, like, like they yeah. just got nothing left in the tank. I can <laughs> see that. I just didn't know if there was a point where it was just like, we're just doing it to get that stimulus and uh, do we have enough weight on them? Do we have too much weight on them? Are they, are, are they, are they hurting, diminishing other things, other, other abilities to do during the session? And I don't know, I'm always trying to figure that out in my patients that I use on like my ACLs and, and other things, you know, but yeah. I, I mean, we may not know. I was just curious if anybody had a, well, it, it, it makes sense to me. Like if you go by what Dan just kind of said, and you're, you're, you're doing, if, if you are still using it in later phases, you are still doing some heavy load without occlusion and some of this together. Right. I think it, it comes down to like, you know, in addition, obviously to, do you have enough time? Is it the, is it the most important thing to use in your time? Maybe it just right. comes down to, do they still have strength deficits? Are they still behind? And right. once, once they're not behind, then you just transition to a normal training program. Right. Right. Cause I don't know if I'd rather do 90 pound knee extensions versus 20 pounds to four sets of fatigue versus just really overload. If I'm doing a knee extension, for example, after an ACL, it's, I'm always torn because we don't it. have 90 pounds of knee extension. So <laughs> do you have a 90 pound that. ankle weight? That's pretty, that's pretty good. Exactly. You, ju you just started a, you just started a Twitter firestorm right there. I love that. Part. Uh, so I, I, I just shared briefly kind of like my experience too. I very similar to Dave and Dan, but there's, you know, as we go through this, like we, we learn a lot, right? So I, I have a, a great patient right now that is, um, you, you know, he, he's, he's, uh, he, he's, uh, 
Um, he tells us his symptoms quite well. I'll leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. Um, but like in a good way, like in, in somebody that, you know, is articulate about how they're feeling all the time, a little bit more on the cautious side, but in a good way. Right. So post-op meniscectomy, um, you know, we started about two weeks. We started using it just like Dave with neuromuscular stim during his table exercises, no change in the set rep scheme, just as it was progressing. That was kind of the first thing we did. Then remember, it's a meniscectomy, right? It's not like a patellar tendon graft or something. So uh, pretty quickly after that, um, once his volunt- volitional or voluntary like control of his quad was pretty good, I had him start doing knee extensions um, with it. And then we, we started using knee extensions with more of a fatigue type protocol, like a 30, 15, 15, 15 protocol. Um, but I didn't start that way, right? Because I wanted to make sure we had volitional quad control first. And once we had that, we started adding that to the program to kind of get some strength gains. So a, a couple of things that we've done with him over time, which we kind of found out is we started doing some like isometric mid thigh pulls on our force plates. Um, and, and we started doing that, like, uh, towards like the middle, like portion of his program. If we did the BFR prior to that, his ability to perform the isometric mid thigh pulls on the force plate was down probably about 20, 30, sometimes even 40%. Like Mike and I saw that with this particular person, um, his ability to produce force on the force plates was so down because he was so tired. So I actually found that, um, I think we were tiring him out. Mike said the same thing, kind of made the same pivot in the program. We were tiring him out too early in the program. So we shifted the BFR towards after everything, you know, sometimes people get completely fatigued one exercise. Sometimes they don't. So, you know, we put it towards the end and he's kind of doing more of a normal program now, but then at the end, like Dave, he's doing that kind of fatigue protocol. Then he'll ride the bike with it. You know, we're keeping it under 20 minutes. He's still getting a little bit of, of the benefits of that, but we thought that was really interesting. Uh, the other thing that, that a lot of people have said, but you know, this particular person that talks about this too, is when he does it with the neuromuscular stim, he's way more tired at the end than when he does it without the neuromuscular stim. So keep that in mind too. BFR plus neuromuscular stim at, in these early phases, it's not just for volitional control, but it helps get more of the muscle to contract perhaps. And if he's more tired, it's definitely getting more of like a physiological response. So kind of keep that in mind as well. So, uh, so, you know, those are good few examples. I think that's great. I mean, I, I think this is an important episode for people just, you know, getting started with BFR is that you don't just blindly follow a protocol. You have to use some common sense and BFR is just something we can just add, right? You can just add to kind of just like supplement what you're currently doing. You don't necessarily have to change your set rep schemes or what you're doing or the exercise selection. You can just make it part of your process. Then as the person evolves, you can kind of pick and choose when to use it, maybe when to scale back and do some heavy load stuff too. But I think what we're trying to, to, to get across here is that it's a supplement. There's lots of ways to apply it. And I think if we use our brains with a little of experience through this, it's, it's going to be much more successful, right? Every time there's something new in your hands in your clinic, you know, everybody tries to use it the same way on a lot of different people. And then you find, you know, areas that it works well, areas that maybe it doesn't and how you refine it. I think that was a little bit of our evolution of how we refined it. So hopefully that helps you as well. So awesome. So great episode. Thanks guys for the answers. That was a good case, Tom. That was a good question. I appreciate that. Again, if you have a question like that, head to micron.com, click on that podcast link. You fill up the form to ask us questions and please go to Apple podcast, Spotify, rate, review, subscribe, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to micron.com slash podcast. 
and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.